Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Hey, and welcome to Personality Profile here on Joy 99.7 FM. I am Lexus Bale. You know, I look forward to these conversations where we sit with amazing Ghanaians who are blazing the trail, doing amazing things and impacting our society. And today, I have one such amazing guest to share with you, a remarkable Ghanaian who is doing wonders, literally. Yes, you get to learn his story, know his journey, and probably, I'm sure by the end of this conversation, you'll pick up a thing or two for life and also impact change in your corner, wherever you are. Now, last weekend, I had the opportunity of sharing in a very momentous occasion where my guest unveiled an architectural masterpiece. Oh, yeah, a very modern, you know, complex, office complex. Yeah, very, very modern one nestled in the heart of Laboni. And actually, that is the location of our conversation today on Personality Profile. I'll tell you about him so you know the kind of man that I have. In fact, after that Friday event where he unveiled this architectural masterpiece that had captains of business and uh, government uh, appointees and chiefs and, 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 and royalty actually in the place, the next was even better. He was crowned Man of the Year, honored with that award at the EMY Africa Awards as well. So I got to be honest with you, the last couple of days have been very, very iconic in his life. And so we get to share his story here on Joy 99.7 FM. So welcome aboard, sit back, relax, and let me tell you a bit about him before we start the conversation. He's an entrepreneur and a philanthropist with about 30 years experience working across multiple industries and sectors across the globe, including fintech, logistics, agri, property development, commerce, in the UK, in Ghana. He functions in various C-suite capacities and serves on boards of multiple institutions, including Ecom, Agro-Industrial, Premier Textiles Group in the United Kingdom. Uh, I, I could name a lot of their boards that he sits on. He's a product of Infantipim School, yeah. He holds a BSc admin degree from the University of Ghana Business School in Lagon. But let's tell you what, in 2001, he set up a joint venture, Qualitex Limited, with DCD Finance Group PLC based in the city of London. Now, as executive director, he was instrumental in developing the company's trade finance and venture capital business across the globe. Now, this included providing financing for several local Guinean businesses through the DCD Finance Group. Since then, he's become renowned as a strong advocate for inclusion of the Guinean diaspora in the political and socioeconomic transformation of Ghana. In fact, he's credited with initiating the Ghana Diaspora Homecoming Summit in 2017 and the Ghana Investment and Opportunity Summit UK. 
In 2018, though, January thereabouts, he was appointed onto the governing board of the Ghana Investment Promotion Center, GIPC, by the President of Ghana, His Excellency Nanado Dakwe Kufuado, in recognition of his contribution towards the promotion of, of investment in Ghana. And most recently, he established the KGL Group, a wholly owned Ghanaian group consisting of six subsidiaries operating in multiple sectors, including fintech, logistics, agri-property development and commerce, and he serves as the executive chairman. So KGL Technologies Limited, KGL Capital, KGL Foundation, Keat Ghana Limited, Birchfield as well, uh, Fuel Automation Ghana, and Keat Digital Limited. He's a philanthropist. Yeah, he has a strong, he's been a strong advocate for giving back to the community a belief uh, that his actions will help society. And that's how come he founded the KGL Foundation. Even better, he's a proud fan of Tottenham Hotspurs, who sits on top of the EPL table now. So I'm sure right now he's feeling that they will win the league today, <laughs> this year. <laughs> Mr. Alex Apau, that is my guest. Honorable, welcome. Thank you. Thank Good you, to Lexus. see you. How are you Thank doing? You. Very well. Very well. I see the Tottenham uh, Hotspur badge in your great office, team. and I know that. Great team. Great uh, team. So they, they, they sometimes give you um, heartbreak and that, yeah. but I'll tell you this story before you set off. Yeah. When I was a young boy growing up, I used to support great Olympics. Oh, okay. Olida Day. Olida Day. <laughs> and each time, and... You know, growing up, it was Sundays that we had the best food at home. Right. And leagues were played on Sunday. Sunday afternoons. And as a young boy, when Oli loses, I don't eat. <laughs> so this good food that is uh, prepared on Sunday, I miss it. So then I decided uh -huh. that, look, I'm going to leave Oli and go to Kotoko. Oh. At least Kotoko was winning. Was because winning, if I yes. don't want to miss yes. all my good food, right? So I left Oli and went to Kotoko. <laughs> <laughs> so Tottenham has the same sort of characteristics as Olympics. Yeah. yeah, gives you a bit of heartbreak. I think this season we're doing it's very well. Good. I mean, you've yeah, got yeah. a new coach. Yeah, yeah, and he's yeah. now on top of the league. Exactly, exactly. And I think that maybe we talked about hurricane yeah. and all that, right? Yeah. But sometimes, and I believe so with Ghana football as well. Sometimes mm -hmm. you don't need a big names. You need a team. You need I a think team, they are, uh, it's exciting yes. watching Tottenham play. Yes. So yes. I think that this well, this year, this year, if we if we win yes uh we have to go to white heart lane yes and celebrate exactly so? exactly exactly <laughs> white lane, yes. and you know what that was when I, where i started off in uh, london oh was it yes i lived next to white heart lane wow so that was probably about 25 years back yeah i moved from white heart lane about 25 years back i i used to live literally about five minutes from so the stadium of course of course and getting the hard bricks <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, well, I'm, I'm so happy to uh, hang out with you today. I need to say congratulations as well. Thank In you. fact, I need to start with the first one. Yes. This architectural masterpiece, yes. the KGL House. Yes, yes. Boy, I mean, I was at the opening. Yes, it had the yes. first lady, the second yes. lady, the Capini, yes, 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 and lots yes. of businessmen. I'm sure yes. it was a great night for yeah, you. Yeah, it was, it was, it was. It was, it was something that uh, meant a lot to us. The mm. guests that we invited were people who mean a lot to us, people that we have interacted with. For example, the first lady, yeah. uh, personal friend of mine, we work with her, with our foundation. Right. So do we work with the second lady. We work also the Okuyapemhine, mm -hmm. very, very close to my heart. The Ukuyap, anything Okuyapem is yes. very close to my heart. So, uh, and also we had all our stakeholders. So it wasn't something that we just invited people out of the blue. Yeah. Uh, 
like I said, First Lady, we work together on, yes. the, on the social, our corporate social responsibility arm. We, we, mm -hmm. we try and help through that side. So there were people who meant a lot to us. Everybody who came and was here was someone who had played a role in what we've been doing. So it, it really meant a lot to us um, that we could have this edifice and uh, also have people who mean a lot to us. But for you, what does this building signify? I am a very passionate uh, advocate of good corporate governance. So when I relocated to Ghana, uh, one of the things that I've always believed, you know, I, talked about, I talk about diaspora and inclusion, yeah. and I will come to that. But one of the things that I believe we could do well in this country, right, is the practice of good corporate governance, mm. right? So that has been very important to me. So we thought that, look, you cannot, uh, uh, create that governance structure or without uh, putting up an edifice like this to signify the discipline and also what you are receiving back from the society. So it, it is a symbol mm. of uh, what we stand for. Mm. Um, a symbol because we have invested heavily in it. We want to show that we are not here in the society to take the money, we are here to invest to bring uh, uh, for our staff also to have a conducive place to work for our clients to also, when they come in, feel that they are part of the family. So it means so much yeah. to us. One thing it also means to me, which uh, we'll probably come to, is the philosophy of all these things. It is a symbol of continuity. Okay. I've always been a passionate advocate also of continuity. Where I've come from in England, I've seen companies uh, um, set up in 1750, 1850, mm -hmm. and that we, we have none of these things yeah. in Ghana. I'm an advocate of companies out, uh, outliving their visionaries. Right. So this is a symbol that I was here, I was present here, uh, the, the generation to come who feel that this is a place where a visionary yeah. once set this up, it would, act, uh, it would act as a motivating factor for those who follow us. And even better, you're equipping the next generation with the right tools yes. to continue the journey. Exactly, exactly. Good stuff. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm totally impressed. I need to say congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And just Thank you. 24 hours later, yes. I saw you up the stage Thank with you. family, friends, Thank business you. partners, yes. and when the kente was draped around your neck <laughs> as a man of the year, I'm like, that's yeah. the man. Yeah. 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 I'm sure that was a very special night too. Yeah, it was. Uh, what it also means to me, uh, personally is uh, a recognition of the achievement but more importantly it also gives me the platform to go out and motivate others because mm. I like I like doing that I really like doing that from an early age I've been doing that okay. uh, when I arrived in London even as a young man a lot of people have gone through my company worked for my company and, and that so in order to tell the story this helps yeah uh, recognitions and that help that, okay, oh, well, um, Mr. Dade was the man of the year, Mr. Dade is, yeah. so it, it, it is, it is uh, one that I appreciate very much. No, I mean, it's a huge one because, uh, guys, we're talking about the men in Ghana. This is the man of the year. <laughs> it's a huge one. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's totally well-deserved, considering the stuff that you've done yes, in yes, life, yes, yes. in the UK, yes, in Ghana, yes, yes, on yes. this globe. Yes. Now, I want us to tell the story 
Um, I've spoken to many successful men mm. and women here on this program, mm. uh, and I've learned that success doesn't come cheap. Mm. Yeah, it takes a lot of hard work, mm. some sacrifice, mm. perseverance. Mm. Everybody has a story. I'm not sure yours was just rosy from the beginning, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I would want us to take uh, everybody back to where you were born. Yes, yes, yes. You're from Okapiman. Yes, yes. A son of Okapim. Sir. A true son of Okapim. Thank you. I, I actually, to disappoint you a little bit, mm. um, I always say to people, and that's also a motivating factor, mm -hmm. that for people like myself, my parents didn't have money, but I had a little bit of a privileged upbringing. Oh. Privileged in terms of the fact that I was born the son of a teacher, mm. right? He didn't have money, but he had values, right? Which basically leads you on to have some of the best education. I was born uh, when my father was just a teacher in Premper College. He taught the lives of President Kufu and all those. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> and I attended school when we lived in Premper College okay. uh, in a school called State Experimental. Mm. That was where all the public servants and the guys in Kumasi's children attended. So I was there till class four. So then we left uh, uh, Kumasi, came to a crop. Oh, she obliged? Yeah, yeah, she did, she did. She did. So they were a young couple. My yeah. dad was only 38, so he, yeah. he came to a crop home with all of us, three of us. And there were no schools. Well, they were the primary schools that we yeah. attended in Kumasi. We were in the same standards. Mm -hmm. So it was a tough time mm. moving from Kumasi yeah. to a crop home. How old were you at this time? Um, probably about nine. Okay. Nine years old. So you were well aware of things? Yeah, I was aware. I was aware that the, the, of the move. I've left all my friends there. Yeah. And, uh, Come to this very small town and Okuyapman was a small school, very, very small school. Okay. Yeah. So then um, I attended a Methodist school there uh, till I got to class six and he took me to a Brie Boys, uh, which was, uh, we call it Amanfu. I think a lot of, um, uh, there was a lot of tough discipline. Mm -hmm. It was a Presbyterian school, mm -hmm. the boarding school. So I had some of my early education there before I left for Fanspin. Share with me. As a young man, and this way before you fancy him, mm. what were you passionate about? What do you recall that there were things that you were interested in? I was quite passionate in, in business at, at that age, at that wow. age. And my, my mom used, my mom was a teacher as well. Oh, she was but, a teacher as well? Yeah, my mom okay. was a teacher as well. And she used to, in those days, you have three or four jobs. So, so my mom had this small shop yeah. and that, and then I used to service the shop. Okay. So my, my dad passed away quite a while, but my mom is still alive. Wow. And she's so proud to say that she gave me all the entrepreneurial skills yeah. and that, because <laughs> I used to work around her shop yeah. and, and, and distribute some of the stuff for her. Okay. So I was passionate about business at that age. Um, like every young person, most young people, yeah. I, I, I like soccer playing around. Yeah. Um, we used to play what you call gata to gata. Gata to gata. And all that. <laughs> we used to, we used to um, play this chaskele and all those. Yeah. Yeah, so those are, and then now you're kubolokaka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit of it. A bit of it. Yeah. Yeah. I see. So was there a certain career path that you admired at the time, at that age, that maybe when I grow up, this is what I want to be? I wanted to be a lawyer. And my dad thought that I should read, because he read classics. In those days, they had a funny structure of uh, education because um, they used to go in and read classics and all sorts of things as a first degree. The scholars were the students of classics and yeah. you cite his, his good friend and Professor Kwapon and all those people who had read classics and thought that I could, I, I either 
uh, do economics and that, mm. but um, I wanted to read law. I see. Later on, um, I decided I was going into business administration. Mm. He then also became the headmaster of Achimota. When he left Okiapa, he became the headmaster of Achimota. Okay. And uh, he also happened to be the vice chairman of the university council. So I wanted to read business administration. So I went to him and said, I want to be, read business administration now. And he said, no, 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 you can't read business administration. Business administration is for commercial school students, mm. right? And we had, what, what he meant by commercial school, we had a lot of like commercial schools, private commercial schools, where they did secretarial work and typing okay. and those things. So he told me that, no, you have to read economics first and you go and do an MBA. You don't go to Legon and read. And in our days, it was the best that went into business administration, the top of the top yeah. went in. Everybody wanted to go to the school of administration. I thought, look, I want to go to the school of administration. <laughs> So he spoke to the vice chancellor then. Yeah. And the vice chancellor said, look, your son is right because you and I, I think it was a JB Queen in those days, and he said, you and I, we have to read classics or something and then go on to do an MBA and that. So anyway, that's how I got to uh, uh, do the business, uh, the business administration. administration. Yeah. But I, I, I wanted to, but I'm glad that I also learned a bit about law and the business administration, commercial administrative yeah. law and all that. Yeah. So, so at least we learned a little bit of, about law. We missed a bit of uh, your life in Infantipil because I know you're oh, a proud yes. Infantipil <laughs> boy. boy. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Your fondest memories from Infantipil? Next year, yeah, will be 50 years since we entered Form 1. Wow. Yeah, uh, so I'm not uh, uh, wow. uh, a young chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So. So we, 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 uh, we had some exciting time. It was during our time. You know what I'm doing right now? I'm yeah. trying to now even calculate your age. Because you look like a, a, a 40 62. year old. 62. 62. 62. 62. 62. So, uh, wow. Yeah, 62. Oh, I feel like a guy now. God has been good to us. I, I, I think that um, I've always been athletic. Yeah. The first day I, I, I went to Form 1 in Infanson is the culture of doing. There is the introductory sport, um, which is uh, called a giant race. So when you go to form one, all the form one boys, right, mm -hmm. they pick the best to do this 100-meter race. And I was picked to do the 100-meter race, and I won that. Wow. Yes, uh, that's the giant race. Okay. Since then, I, I was a, a top athlete in fan swim. Oh. Yeah. Um, and I, I ran the 100, 200, and um, 400 meters. I also was a little bit notorious. but the son of a headmaster and i think i've always been like that throughout my life as well i've always been very cautious mm. right uh, a little bit of uh, when notoriety when you have that but i just stay within the boundaries and that so i did all that young boys do like but i also i also <laughs> like <we> would, <laughs> So I also had my limits because yeah, I knew. And yeah, also no. And you're quite like, 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 no, you do whatever you have to do, uh, going to the clubs and yeah. uh, smoking and all those. Yeah. We did all that, right? But I was also aware that my dad was a strict disciplinarian mm. and I could not afford to be suspended in school or okay. dismissed. Yeah. Yeah, so I was aware. And I think that has also guided me through my life. Mm. Uh, whatever I do in life, I always stay on the straight and narrow path. Okay. You might do certain things. We all f do 
yeah. things that but I always ensure that things that would get you into deep trouble I never do mm. I never ever do but I'm sure you once got into trouble what Did what you ever? um got into serious trouble yeah I, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, we get into trouble for various ways. I, I, what I mean by getting into, getting into trouble as an adult is yeah. getting uh, into trouble with the law. Yeah. For example, doing things that are illegal, yeah. those sort of things, right? Yeah. So I'm always aware. I'm yeah. always aware that, um, yes, you do whatever you have to do, but you have to stay within the confines of the law. Okay. I did that in school and uh, where we would go out and have fun and uh, i knew when to go and when not to go yeah. <laughs> so you you, you thread cautiously yeah you thread cautiously okay so now let's talk about life after university you yes. now have your first degree yes what did you do next i left for i left i left straight away for london my dad then had left ghana and he was lecturing at birmingham university Okay. Yeah, for a period he returned to Ghana to the education service and that. But um, so I joined. I joined him in the UK. Um, I started studying uh, chartered accountancy, but I dropped off because Why? because uh, my parents were in Birmingham and they wanted me to be in Birmingham with a company called Founders and one of the largest accountancy companies in the world. And I wanted to be in London. Mm. So, so those are the sort of <laughs> notorious moves that you make. I wanted yeah. to be in London because that was where everything was happening. And I'm glad I moved to London. I'm sure you, were in, you wanted to be in London because of the entertainment. I think so. I think so. And I think that was where everything was happening. And I thought that my future uh, belonged to that side of yeah. the UK than in Birmingham. And I'm glad I moved to London. You preferred the busy, bustling, the busy you know, bustling lifestyle of I, London. I dreamt of working in the city yeah. and all that. So I thought, look, let me go to London and see what there is there. And I, it, 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 it Did they like that? They didn't, but they also understood. They understood that, look, I, I was a talented boy. Okay. And um, they thought that uh, whatever decisions I've made in life, I've, mm. I've come through with it i see yeah so back in london did you go back to school or no you i found didn't go back no no i found a job straight away hey you stopped the school i stopped the school completely i, I stopped the school completely found a job uh, as a sales executive i went for the company that particular company for 11 years 11 years 11 years was that the only job you were doing because uh, we no no london london you never do <laughs> you never do, you one, never job. do one job <laughs> yeah uh, so what when i started it? as a sales executive yeah. right from that company, I was renting a house. The house will cost, I think it was 35 pounds a week a room. Mm -hmm. It was 35 pounds a week. So you start on the lower ladder. And in order, I was earning, I think as a sales executive, I was earning something like 100 pounds a week. Mm. So in order to pay your rent and do other things and save some money, uh, we, we did cleaning. Okay. So you do the morning cleaning and you do the evening cleaning. Uh, and in between, I didn't go to formal uh, uh, so I was also doing courses okay. and, and, and that. So we did that as, uh, for about a year or so. Mm. And then I started uh, progressing on the scale. I, I, for the 11 years that I stayed with that company, I rose to become the expo sales director of the company. So I rose rapidly through the ranks manager and, yeah. and all that. Which yeah. company was this? It was Gordon Richmond's. Okay. Yeah, it was a textile company. Textile and company. Yeah, it was a textile company. So I rode through the ranks to become the the, the uh, export sales 
director of the company. And what triggered the move? What triggered from there? Um, I started my own operations then. And, and yes, and most of my operations have revolved around that textile business because my partners then and the company it was dominated by Jews and that, so we, we did that and um, I, with my contacts around the world that I had established then, it helped me then to move on to the next stage. Mm. I set up a textile company which uh, I had a venture capitalist. That's how I got into trade finance and venture capital with DCD Group and all that. Because they came to buy into it. Okay. And when they bought into it, we became partners and we got involved in trade finance. And um, in, 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 in most of our business, about 10% of our business was done in Africa. Okay. Yeah. And I believe that at that time in Ghana, in terms of, it was furnishing textiles. I probably controlled about 80% of the market then in Ghana in those days. And I'm talking about the early 90s. Yeah. That, yeah, um, I, I supplied the likes of GNTC, and uh, there were only about three or four textile companies. So we controlled it. We sold to uh, textiles to even China in those days. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Hong Kong and China. That was and huge that. Yeah, that was huge. That was huge. The textile yeah. company, the textile business, um, we, like I said, dealt in uh, furnishing textiles. So we had um, about 25 countries who were dealing with. Yeah. We were manufacturing in the UK. All the manufacturing was done in um, Manchester, okay. the center of textiles in those days. Mm -hmm. It was uh, later that other countries came on board and China opened up and there was also uh, manufacturing from China. But the main textile center of the world then was in the UK. Okay. Yeah, so okay. all the production was done, like I said, from Manchester. So after 11 years of being in the corporate setup, yeah. you now turned into an entrepreneur? Yes. Okay. If I asked you, what's the key to rising through the corporate ladder? Yeah. And I'm saying this for the many young people yeah. who work in companies like yours, yes, yes, in the yes. corporate setup. Yes. What would you say it is? Um... It is, sometimes you get comfort transiting from the corporate sector also to entrepreneurship, right? There are hurdles. I remember um, when I set up mine, my boss, who was then a Jewish guy, said to me, Alex, you are the best uh, director that we've had. But I tell you what, right? It doesn't mean you can run your own business, mm. right? He was right to an extent because when I started, I was looking for another Alex Daddy, mm. to help me, right? Like I helped others, I worked yeah. for others and that, right? Couldn't find. So there is a, yes, transiting was tough, right? And it needed a bit more dedication. But I believe that anyone who wants to venture into it, right, is the most rewarding. I have, I have had an amazing experience. Um, corporate sector gives you the comfort. Uh, yes, you earn the money that you might, you may or may not earn as an entrepreneur. I have been fortunate uh, and I always knew I had that in me and um, with the right vision and the right, right mindset, I was very confident that having done it for my company, I could, could do it for myself. Yes, yes, yes. 
One of the tips that I wanted you to share, and, and this, like I was saying, is for the young people mm. who are in the corporate setup itself. Yes. Or let's say for the people you work with. Yeah. What are those values or what are those things that they need to do to rise through the ranks? I think you have to be committed. You have to be devoted. I have, I have a lot of young guys here in the same structure. I always motivate them. Mm -hmm. um, it, you shouldn't look at it as... Um, maybe you're just working for the company and you have to have that same discipline. You have to work as if you're working for yourself. Mm -hmm. Really, you have to have the values of the corporate structure that you are in. You have to look at it as the sort of apprenticeship. Because mm. I've got, like most, I've got, I've got three children, mm. uh, two boys and a girl. Okay. They've all, one of them is working with me. He runs the foundation now. He's 27, Elliot. But he's had the experience of working in the... I got them to get the experience of working in the corporate sector, understanding mm -hmm. uh, what it takes, the discipline of, of, of work, working in a structured environment. Before, if they want to join me, they come. I've got one of my young sons who just graduated from Reading. He's also in the corporate. He, he works in the city of London now. He wants to join me, but he has to do that for at least five years mm. to understand what people like myself who have worked in such structured environment gain. Um, you don't think he can learn that from you now? Um, others can. He might not be able to. He might come in and think it's easy, go home at any time and do all that, right? Yeah. But when he has the discipline from elsewhere, mm -hmm. at least a couple of years, three or four years, he will bring on board that discipline because obviously he's not working for his dad's company now. Yeah. So he will be required to be at work when he has to be yeah. and do those things. We did and that's where we, 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 we get yeah. our, our values also. You did a lot of business with Ghana. Yes. Um, so you were, even though you were in the UK, yeah, you yeah. were still here. Yes, yes. And you had a lot of hand, you have a yeah. hand in a lot of pies in yes, Ghana. Yes, 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 yes. In 2017, you decided to set up an, yeah. uh, a diaspora investment yeah, yeah. Uh, summit. Yes, yes. And yes. get more of the diasporans to come back to Ghana to invest. Yes. Why yeah. that? I think that my days of, like I said to you, my days of doing things in Ghana dates back to the early 90s. And it's always good to put it in perspective who you are, what your story is, and that. So, and, and back in the 90s, like I said, we funded, we funded uh, GNTC, we funded big companies in those days. We had huge companies who imported stuff. We funded Nab Brothers. We used to fund Cocoa Board. Oh. Yeah, we funded Cocoa Board, some of their things from London. Mm. Yeah. And it was an era where, uh, there was rationing of, um, you know, in the 90s when Ghana went through the Structural Adjustment Program and that there was rationing of foreign exchange currency uh, in Ghana. So company, companies like ours used to fund most of these uh, entities. And it was at a time that letters of credit raised by uh, companies like Cocoa Board wasn't accepted on the international because they would raise it through uh, in, in those days, it was Ghana Commercial Bank in London. Now it's Ghana International Bank. Yeah. They would raise the letters of credit through Ghana International Bank, and those weren't accepted by the top banks. So we would come in and confirm those letters of credit and do all. So it dates far back. There are also uh, properties like huge 
um, also businesses that we funded, build properties and that. So my entrepreneurship journey in, in, in Ghana started way back from the 90s. Okay. Yes, uh, and uh, I, I don't want to name companies, but they are companies that we have funded and see them grow. Okay. Um, so that's the background of it. Coming back in, in, in the last probably 10 years to settle was just a, a, a formal move. Okay. Yes, it wasn't a major uh, sort of just moving yourself and, yeah, and, and yeah. relocating. Yeah. So it, it, was, it, was, it wasn't too difficult. One of the things that also I found quite easy because I, when I lived in the UK, I traveled to Ghana about four times a year because of the business and that. Yeah. So there were a lot of people who didn't think I left. <laughs> If I lived here, you, you lived <laughs> you know, I lived yeah. here. I'll come here for a couple of weeks and go in the businesses and, yeah. and that. So they thought I lived here. So it, it made it easier it for me it, to finally relocate. But why was finally relocating necessary for you? It was important because I'll tell you what, Lexis, when I left Legon and went to England, guess how many years I was going to England for? Three. Oh. And we used to say, we used to say, so it was always on the cards that will come back, mm -hmm. will come back. Initially, I was going for three years. I was going, the first year, we used to say amongst ourselves that you, you go in and the first year you buy a car. <laughs> and the second year you buy your stereo and things for your room because yeah. you come back to rent a room or you get accommodation from the government and yeah. that when you're a teacher and that. And the third year, you have some money. Mm -hmm. So it was a, a three-year thing, Yeah, right? And then it never happened, <laughs> right? But I was always conscious of the fact that I wanted to be home one day. Okay. Yeah, so that is what formally coming back. And I had also given so much to companies there and also to other countries. So I said to some of my partners that, why don't we go back also and replicate our success story in these countries back in Ghana? And it's okay, let's go and try that. So it wasn't a new venture for us. Yeah. I knew the market. I think I know the Ghana because of my dealings with the, 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 uh, my clients in Ghana. I knew the Ghanaian market very, very well, very mm. well. Right. Yeah. I knew what to touch, what not to touch. I knew also that um, we needed to maintain our values. Mm -hmm. We needed to maintain our values, integrity, and honesty, because sometimes that becomes a short commodity okay. in the Ghanaian space, which means that um, if you are dealing internationally, without those uh, values, it becomes very, very difficult. Right. If, because they, 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 those are currencies that they need yeah. to deal in. Yeah. What was the biggest challenge when you moved back and settled finally? I, I was prepared for it. Like I said, I am an advocate of diasporan inclusion, and I believe that for the country to develop, we need to get our diasporans back. Um, diasporans are those who left, I call most diasporans, economic <coughs> migrants. Mm -hmm. They go to UK, US, and that acquire either knowledge or finances and come back, right? One of the problems that the diasporans face, which foreigners don't, right? Foreigners come into Ghana with a mindset that the mindset of a Ghanaian is very different from their mindset. Okay. We diasporans uh, should be the same. 
because you can't. I lived, I've lived in England a greater part of my life, right? So, which means I left Ghana when I was about 24, 25, mm -hmm. right? So half of my life I've lived in the UK. So when I go into any country, whether it's Ghana, Nigeria and that, my thinking will be different from the locals. Mm -hmm. I have to make room for that. The foreigners come in and they make room for that. They accept that as this is the way these guys live. Okay. The diasporans don't. They come in and say, oh, I'm from London and uh, there are trains working on time. No, <laughs> the trains don't work on time. There are no trains here, right? So you live with it. Yeah. So they come in with the expectation okay. that uh, they, they, they expect things to work the way they work in London. No, you are in, you are, London is a developed economy. This is a, a developing economy. Yeah. So you have to make room. So we came in, I came in. I, there were challenges, but I, I was accommodative. I was accommodative. I thought, okay, there are these challenges. This is how they live. This is how I used to live yeah. when I was here. Um, there are things that matter so much to me. Mm. Some of it is like uh, fast as a company, our obligation to government, mm -hmm. the paying of taxes and that. It comes naturally because when you are in the UK, you have to file those taxes and then you have to pay. Yeah. So coming back, right, you have to do the same thing. So you were aware of the Ghanaian mentality. I was, I was. I was aware of the Ghanaian mentality and how to overcome it. But in general, is that Ghanaian mentality a negative thing? I wouldn't say... Especially because you say it's, you had to overcome it. I mean, it obviously, it was yeah, a challenge. Yeah, yeah, it was a challenge. Yes, I wouldn't say it's a negative thing. They have a different way, Ghanaians, or we have a different way of looking at things and doing things. Okay. But if you have to work internationally, like I have, mm -hmm. I've been to countries, and I'll probably tell you a bit more about that, right? I've been to countries where... They like the color blue. Another country, they like the color green. Is it good or bad? No, that's how they live. Mm -hmm. Yes, we could do better. Mm -hmm. And that is why those of us who have learned, not better ways of doing it, alternative ways, ways of, of doing things, things okay. right, should come in and introduce that and work together in partnership with the locals okay. to achieve uh, success. Yeah. So uh, on... Uh You've largely been successful. Yes. But I don't think that's the case for everything. Yes. I remember on uh, Friday yes. when uh, the KGL house was being opened, your yes. partner came up uh, yes, 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 on yes. the stage and, yes. and recounted how yeah. he decided to get into a venture yeah. that you weren't interested yeah, in. Yeah, but yeah. along the line, you got stuck. Yeah, you got stuck. And you, <laughs> you had to come help him out. Tell me, have you failed at any business? A lot, a lot. And uh, you, you learn from that failure because my partner came in. There was this business that he wanted to do. We, he wanted us to do together. Mm. I wasn't interested. He thought that was a very good business, <laughs> right? And, Are you uh, able to share what business it is? I wouldn't, but I will, I will give you a bit of a... Uh, okay. So he came in. He thought that... He, he invested $15 million in the business. $15 million into that business and that and, and that, right? Um, and I wasn't interested. I wasn't interested because of my experience, like I've said, right? Okay. That there are things I have touched. I, 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 my, business, because my business model, right, also made me some losses and I'll come to that business model. So I've learned 
which ones to touch. And also in my old, when I was younger, I would touch any business. The one he was going to do, I would have touched it when I was younger. Mm -hmm. At this age, I wouldn't <laughs> touch those businesses. Okay. No, I wouldn't touch those businesses. So he came in, he wanted to do it and that. I said, okay, fine, if you want to do it, you can go in, right? Um, they run one of the largest insurance companies in the world. So he went into it, the insurance company, uh, uh, guaranteed that thing and that. And there were losses. There were losses. So we had to find a way. Obviously, my partner, we had to find a way mm. to deal with that. But asking the question that have I... I had a business model in Africa that was a model of, yes, you could make uh, some money, but you could lose a lot, right? And that was a model that made me money, but I lost a lot. In the psyche of my colleagues, and I think it's with the developed world, the psyche is they won't do anything, right, that will lose their money. Okay. So where I would invest in Ghana and make 100% profit, mm -hmm. right, or in Nigeria or Cote d'Ivoire, anywhere, and make 100% profit, right, I might have 10 customers. I'll make the 100% profit from five of them and probably lose on the other five. Yeah. But a typical uh, uh, entrepreneur in a, a developed world would not want to lose anything. They wouldn't want to make the 100% and lose maybe 50%. Yeah. They would rather not do it. So I had that business model that made me money, but I lost money. I also lost some money, but on the balance, I made money. Yeah. Eventually, I had to move away from that concept because they're wearing the numbers to support it, which means there weren't 10 clients. Yeah. There was only five. So if you lose that five, you've lost out. But before it was the numbers. You have yeah. 20, you lose some, you gain some and that. And that was the sort of business that he was convinced to venture into, mm -hmm. right? I and I, I, I had, I had um, moved on from those businesses. I have moved on from... Um, uh, as, government businesses as well because we funded also a lot of those projects from the 90s and that yeah. and there was a lot of uh, defaults and that mm. I, I have moved on from that uh, thing about government procurements and government things yeah. I, I i don't touch those you don't touch it again. i don't touch i don't think that in my uh, um, setup i don't think that in the last 15 years I have touched uh, any government project. I haven't received a check from government, not even a penny from government. Really? So, no, 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 no. The closest we've come to doing anything with government is our digitalization of the national lottery, which is basically our setup. We set the whole infrastructure and everything up without the contribution of uh, the NLA that is our collaborator. Mm. Uh, we pay them hundreds of, of, of millions of uh, money. But as a policy, I, I, I don't touch. Uh, and that's that. with KID, is that it? Is that with the... Yeah, KID, KID is doing the, the KIDL technology. The, yeah. It is doing the, the digitalization, which we do for the National Lottery here. We do for National Lottery of Cote d'Ivoire, okay. which is Lonasi, and also we do it for Nigeria. Oh, and right. we are in other 10 African countries also exploring. We're, we're just about to enter Niger when they had this uh, instability. Yes. So, yeah. So what other businesses and what are the other companies and what other businesses do you do? I can't even remember. I think <laughs> I've, got, <laughs> I've got more companies than money. 
Uh, we've got, we've got, got more companies than money. That's yeah, yeah, we've got more companies wow. than money. So I think we, we are in the tech space, um, more or less. So most of our businesses are driven by technology. We have fuel automation, which is a fuel management system, mm -hmm. which is also driven by technology. And um, two of our businesses, uh, the fuel management system is also one that we are working with the Ministry of Fisheries to automate that sector. Okay. And that's also one that we have invested heavily mm. uh, in that. Um, it's a beauty project, so we're hoping that in the next uh, 10 years, the savings that's made from the, the corruption and the diversion, uh, they will have enough money raised from that to pay us off for that project. I see. Um, so that's the major intervention. Uh, the property side, you are aware we have KGL Capital. Yeah. We also do um, private equity. Mm. Um, so we invest in small startups, SMEs, uh, and that. So those are all areas that we venture into. Um, outside, we do a similar thing back in the UK and that too. And there's Birchfield. There's Birchfield, which is more logistics. Logistics. Yeah, Birchfield is logistics. Yeah. So. How does <laughs> this Okiapi Okiapi Manba? Okiapi Miniba. Okiapi 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 when it comes to wealth creation, wealth creation, mm -hmm. I'm a Jew. I'm mm -hmm. literally a Jew. I've worked with Jews all my life. <laughs> so when it comes to wealth creation, I'm a Jew. When it comes to wealth distribution, I'm an Equiapim. And I remember one of my clients who was an Ashanti in those days, he said, said to me that, ah, you are Equiapim, you should be a teacher <laughs> and a, 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 a pastor. You are doing this. <laughs> so when it comes to entrepreneurship and wealth creation and that, but that also, my equipping background also informs what we do in a corporate social responsibility. Mm -hmm. I take it so serious. I think that when I look at my colleagues, other entrepreneurs, I take it more serious okay. and I'm not being boastful. Yeah. I take it more serious than them. That is the legacy that I believe we can leave to our children. Mm -hmm. As a company, and I don't think a lot of companies do this, as a company, we put 5%, 5%, of our uh, uh, profits into CSR. It means so much to me. Mm. It's corporate social responsibility. That's why you see us funding so many of these things. It's only 5% for us. We keep the 95. Yeah. But we could do anything. You could buy whatever. You could do anything with the 95. 5% goes into this, which I believe is only right. That's a company, the communities you work in, and that's right. You should give back. You're not giving back 95%, you're giving back five. Yeah. I think next year we even want to up that. Okay. Yeah, I don't know whether the family, my kids, and that will agree, yeah. thinking that we are, and also my stakeholders like the staff and yeah. that thing. We need more salary or wages <laughs> rather than that. Yeah, yeah. so I think that uh, I am a proud son of a Kuyapim. I am, I call myself a, from the daddy. Uh, I call myself a, a, a third generation. My grandfather was also an educationist. They were the founding fathers of Wesley College okay. in Kumasi. My father um, in education. Mm. So they gave a lot in terms of education and that. And I thought that the only way to give back for myself 
is, is, is through this entrepreneurship drive. Okay. So in all that we've talked about, I believe that something had to give. Yeah. And I'm just guessing that at some point, mm -hmm. family had to suffer. Yes. Yes, I, I, I have had a fairly balanced uh, life in terms of that because at a very, like I said, I've been traveling, I've been really traveling mm -hmm. in the last 30 years, mm -hmm. 30 years. My eldest son is 27, so when he was born, I was traveling, yeah. traveling. My wife did a very, very good job uh, looking after them whilst I was away. I also tend to have those values. Mm. One of the values that I have strongly is that to be a complete man, right? You have to be a family man. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to go on with your career as an entrepreneur. You have to be a, do your business being an entrepreneur. You have to also, from my father's point of view, you have to also have some professionalism, some level of education. Yeah. So I, I try to cover all so that you, I become a little, in my head, I become a bit complete. My children had the best of education. Mm. I, I played a significant uh, a role in their upbringing. Mm. I remember when, when I traveled out um, when they were young, uh, sometimes I'll be in Ghana or I'll be in another country and uh, the, the, the two, the two were quite close. A year apart, they were six, seven, uh, and they would phone me from wherever I am and say, "Dad, we want pizza." <laughs> that shows yeah. that you you were a hands-on dad. Yeah, sitting six thousand miles away with your wife at home, right? Mm -hmm. And the kids phoning you that they want pizza, which is probably about ten minutes away from yeah. them, shows yeah. that you were doing the right thing. So I was a hands-on dad when they had them. Um, homework and I was around, I made it a point also when they had their exams yeah. and that I'll, I'll be around to help. And when I'm around, uh, they, they went to boarding schools, but when I was around, I, I would help them with things. So What's your biggest regret? Uh, my biggest regret? Um, in fact, I, I don't have much regrets. You know why I don't have regrets, right? And I always say that, I've always said that in life, right? There are a lot of things that I could have done better. But I also believe that given my capability, mm. I would have done it the same way. Mm. It's the capacity, it's the capabilities. It's, so I try as much as possible not to think lazy. I try as much as possible to look at all the options, all the options, and uh, see um, how best I can, I can move on with the... the, the the issues ahead of me. Yeah. So it's not that I, I haven't had, I've had a lot of things I could have done differently. Yeah. But I believe that I have equipped myself well enough to overcome those uh, things I could have done differently. Yeah. And okay. if I couldn't, right, I just have to move on from that. Yeah. So yes, uh, there are things that I've done and I could have done better. Yeah. I don't call them too many regrets. What's your greatest fear? It's fear. My greatest fear is fear. Um, I believe that you have to step out boldly and whilst you go, I, I walk in faith. I walk in faith, an extreme faith. Um, I believe that what I've, whatever I have achieved in life is by the grace of God. I'm not the cleverest. I am not the uh, 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 most influential. That right. 
uh, and it's by the grace of God, we have a culture of fear in this country, right? Uh, I've been told several times, you've been told, oh, you don't have to tell people that you even have money and you don't have to. How do you inspire the youth? How do you tell them the story, right? Uh, you are just being boastful. You are telling people like this and that, right? I, it is the fear mm. of what happens. I have a firm belief that I, whatever I've acquired and knowledge and money and that has been acquired by the grace of God. It is a step ordered by God. And if God orders your steps, he gives you the tools. He equips you to fulfill that. And in doing so, the reason why I don't have much fear is that if my steps have been ordered by God to do that right, and he's giving me the tools and the protection to do that, why would I fear? Why would I fear some evil eyes and yeah. some evil? No, yeah. I wouldn't. The only time that I believe that I will deviate from that is using the wealth and the influence that God has given me to do bad things. Mm. And a lot of people do. They make money and they, they use that money to do bad things, mm. right? That's then the hand of God departs from you. Okay. It's departed from you, you're on your own. I don't believe the hand of God has departed from me because in this space, I, I try as much as possible to not to use my wealth to harm people, okay. right? And for that, the hand of God will be with me. If the hand of, if God, your, your purpose, you fulfilled your purpose, it's God who calls you, yeah. it's God who determines. Yeah. So uh, I don't have much fear for um, um, all those things. Okay. Yes. For any young man who sees you as a role model, mm. who wants to be inspired by you, mm. if you had a word of advice, what would it be? I would say that you have to go out boldly, knowing that what you are doing, and also ethical, ethical, your principles and that have to be spot on. You have to be, be first you work very hard. I, I always say to my, 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 staff and anyone who's come into contact with me. And to the young men that you're talking about, transactions don't make wealth. Transactions don't. What does is relationships. Mm -hmm. Most of the people that I have, uh, I work with now, I've worked with for years, some of them for my 30 years uh, in life. Right? I don't do transactions and so I don't like working with people who do transactions. Mm. If you do transactions, you have to find so many transactions to make the money because, and we have that in Ghana, a lot of it, they're transactional, mm -hmm. which means that you come to Mr. Daddy and do business and you try and swindle him, mm. right? So, okay, you've made the money today. You swindled him. Mm. He's not there tomorrow. So you have to go and find another, another one. Person. You run out by right. the time you get to the fifth one. You don't have any more to swindle. Mm. You've run out. So the transactions, the, the people you meet, the relationships yes. you make, is what will carry you. So my advice is that you have to get the values. Integrity is one thing. Uh, uh, relationships is one thing. It's very difficult to find uh, people that you can relate to, right? who can... Who, uh, who would inspire you and that when you get that grab it and uh, I also try as much as possible not to feel bigger than anyone yeah. in Ghana they are, they are sometimes 
big men. Yeah. No, big man. I don't, <laughs> I, where I've grown up, there's no big man. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in England, you join the queue like anyone else. Yeah. You go and wash your car. If you, you have all those Maserati and Ferrari and that, you go and wash it at the car. <laughs> place yourself i yeah. mean it's different in ghana so that's also help people like myself fit on the ground yeah. you 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 treat everybody equally whether it's a cleaner or the top you treat them equally because that's what i've learned in my working and adult life from the md to the cleaners in the company are treated the same yeah yeah since you mentioned it what's your favorite car an aston martin an aston martin yeah, yeah. wow yeah yeah how many of those do you own? I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and whatever, one thing I must say as well is uh, I like cars, I like those things, but I try as much as possible also um, not to be too uh, flamboyant and showy yeah. round. Yeah. So whatever I have, I don't think a lot of people have seen it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> And, yeah. and I'm sure even the ones that you've shown them that, that, that they see, they're even awed by it. Uh, They'll be surprised to see the whole, the whole fleet. No, 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 no. I mean, some people like showing off that. Yeah. that. I, I, I hardly have the time to show off anything. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, one day I'm somewhere else and that. And, and I, I also think I used to be very, very sociable and I'd do all the parties. And I remember when I was growing up, I will buy the latest car. When I was yeah. in my 30s, I will buy the latest car, go to the parties and pack it in front for everyone to say, oh, like, he, I'm, here. I'm yeah. here. <laughs> now it's different. Now it's different. You, yeah. got, you even get the cars, they stay in the garage, and you probably a year, you wouldn't have moved them. Yeah. That. So it, it is different. The focus becomes very, very different. Okay. And uh, my dad used to say, that uh, now that you started singing nearer my God to thee, right? <laughs> Which is you are getting closer, closer yes. to your maker. The values become very, very different. What right. you used to be, uh, you used to value uh, uh, 20, 30 years ago is not what you value yeah. now. Alex Apo, daddy. Yes. I have one, and this is the most important question for me. Yes. If you look back at 62 years mm -hmm. of life, mm -hmm. Do you sit and say, I'm a fulfilled man? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And I would have been fulfilled if I hadn't made, because like I said, I, I do really work hard. Um, and I work to the best of my ability. Uh, I, 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 I believe that uh, throughout the journey, it, there hasn't been any stage of my journey that I didn't feel fulfilled. Mm -hmm. uh, at an early age, I was, I was fortunate enough uh, from, like I said, for 25, 26, to have jobs that were above what my colleagues would have. Mm. At that age, uh, I, I had in England, two years after leaving Legon, I had two houses there. Mm. I'd made quite a significant amount of money quite early. Yeah. So throughout my journey with the ups and downs and that, um, I, I've always been fulfilled. Okay. That's good to know. We are even more fulfilled having learned from your journey and your Thank story. You. Thank you. Man of the Year, EMY Africa Awards yes. 2023. Thank you. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. Thank you very Thank much, you. John.